from Capital Public Radio in Sacramento. This is Insight. I'm Beth Ruyak. Another day of public testimony is scheduled tomorrow in the impeachment inquiry of President Trump. Californians are in key roles, as you probably know, with Congressman Adam Schiff chairing the House Intelligence Committee responsible for this inquiry. The Democratic Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, also a Californian, held a press conference about an hour ago. Kate Irby is standing by in Washington, D.C. She is a political writer for McClatchy. She covers the California delegation and attended that press conference. Hi, Kate. Hi, Beth. So tell me about the atmosphere in light of yesterday's hearing, and we'll get to a little bit of what the speaker said. Sure. So I'm sure your listeners won't find this surprising, but it's been highly partisan up here. Um, Representative McCarthy, the minority leader in the House, actually just finished his press conference where he decried Adam Schiff and said that he was unfit for chairmanship. So you know, it's a real love fest up here right now. Uh, and after that impeachment hearing yesterday, you really had a mixed bag. You had Republicans who felt like they had come away with the victory of the day and that there was nothing uh, impeachable and that they had proven that. And you had Democrats who felt like they had really made their point and why this was such concerning activity by the president and that he did deserve to be impeached. Nancy Pelosi confirmed, we haven't even made a decision yet to impeach, but her remarks were quite interesting about the whistleblower. I think that came up in a first question from a reporter. Do you want to set the scene a little bit, and then we'll listen to what she had to say? Sure. So obviously, Democrats have been really pounding on protecting the whistleblower. Uh, Republicans, a name has leaked to Republican media about who the whistleblower is, supposedly. Um, And New York Times has said it is a CIA operative, which is what um, these Republican conservative media have reported. But no one has confirmed that that is the correct identity. And Republicans, meanwhile, are still trying to confirm who it is. They say President Trump has the right to confront his accuser. Uh, And meanwhile, Democrats have said this is why the whistleblower protections exist, so that Someone can come forward and report things they find concerning without a fear of retaliation. And we know if we put out this identity that this whistleblower will face significant uh, retaliation. Of course, President Trump has been accusing them of treason. So, Here's then what Speaker Pelosi said just about an hour ago. When you talk about the whistleblower, you're coming into my wheelhouse. I have more experience in intelligence than anybody in the Congress, anybody's ever served. 25 years on the committee as top Democrat, ex officio, a speaker and leader. I was there when we wrote the whistleblower laws. The whistleblower uh, is there to speak truth to power and have protection from doing that. And any, any retribution or harm coming to a whistleblower undermines our ability to hear truth about power. So I will defend the rights of the whistleblower vehemently, vehemently. So some of this came up, Kate, because there was discussion yesterday at the hearing about when there might be access to the whistleblower, in what forum. And there's been some fact-checking done on uh, a comment that Adam Schiff made in saying, quote, we have not spoken directly with the whistleblower. So there was a lot more that happened yesterday, but let's stay with this topic for a moment. Sure. So uh, Adam Schiff originally said when we, uh, way when this began in September, when 
we uh, weren't really sure what the whistleblower was saying, um, and it's still the public whistleblower complaint had yet to come out. Adam Schiff came out and said that no one on the committee had had direct contact with the whistleblower, and he said this to reporters. And then later on, uh, the New York Times and other uh, media outlets started getting sources saying, actually, that Schiff's office specifically had had contact with the whistleblower, Schiff's staff, not Schiff personally. And um, they confirmed that. His office said, yes, uh, the whistleblower did come to us, and we simply directed them to file this complaint through the proper channels. And that they did not help the whistleblower craft the statement. They did not take any part in any of that and left it at that. Um, So Republicans have been going after Schiff, saying he essentially lied, uh, and have said that they believe that he lied because his office did help the whistleblower craft this statement, which, of course, Schiff's office denies. So that's where that stands. On the subject of Adam Schiff, I don't know if you saw the opinion piece in the L.A. Times, but the title of it is Adam Schiff is becoming the Kenneth Starr of the Trump impeachment inquiry. Ken Starr being the investigator who pursued the impeachment of former President Bill Clinton. Tell me about that comparison. Are you hearing it there? I am not as much. Um, I think I think the two have significant differences, but I can see why, uh, of course, Adam Schiff is the main uh, face on impeachment for Democrats right now, just like Ken Starr was. So obviously there are some similarities. Uh, Ken Starr has actually said, uh, I believe it was on Fox News a couple weeks ago, that he does not think Adam Schiff is the correct face uh, to put on the Democrats' impeachment inquiry. Uh, because, of course, Adam Schiff has become kind of a boogeyman for a lot of Republicans who feel that he has acted improperly, both in the uh, possible line about the whistleblower that we just talked about. Uh, he also misconstrued um, a, when he was reading back Trump's phone call to President Zelensky in Ukraine. Um, he's made a couple missteps that um, Republicans have really seized on, and uh, and now he's not really seen as this nonpartisan figure that Ken Starr apparently was making the point that he really should be at least more than he is now. Uh, but, of course, it's up to different interpretations whether you would blame that more on Republicans or on Representative Schiff personally. You cover the California delegation. As I said, you have done some specific reporting on Devin Nunes. From the start yesterday, the opposing perspectives of Adam Schiff and Devin Nunes were crystal clear. They're from the same state, but it seems that's about the only thing that they have in common. Huge difference. Yeah. Would you would you say more about where they each come to in this in this hearing? And it speaks to that wider perception that there is such a chasm between uh, members of the same party. It's. Uh, well, members of the well of opposing yeah. parties, but yeah, on the same sure. committee, correct? Sure. So, uh, of course, Adam Schiff has made it very clear that he thinks there was wrongdoing by this president based on what they have seen, uh, that President Trump was trying to influence Ukraine into investigating his political rival and was using taxpayer-funded U.S. aid to do it. Um, Devin Nunes, on the other hand, um, has made the points that You know, Trump has a right to want to root out corruption. That is uh, something that is much more normal, um, if you put it in that light, uh, that he wanted to clear the air um, from the Steele dossier, which Nunes has alleged without evidence has roots in Ukraine, and then that is what President Trump was really trying to get to the bottom of. 
Devin Nunes was essentially trying to murk up the waters that uh, Adam Schiff said were so clear uh, and that Nunes was trying to say, you know, there's more to this that Democrats don't want to tell you and Democrats don't want to investigate. Uh, but, of course, it's, it's going to be more difficult for him to make those points because Adam Schiff ultimately controls who the committee subpoenas, who, what witness testimony they get, and what the public will ultimately see. So with that, let's talk about what's coming tomorrow and then into next week. And there is both public and in private testimony that will be running somewhat parallel over the next couple days. Sure. So uh, Marie Ivanovich is the uh, public testimony that's coming tomorrow. She was the former ambassador that President Trump really didn't like, that uh, he essentially uh, had uh, his associates went on a campaign against her saying that she was acting improperly, uh, wasn't fulfilling her duties as ambassador at the time. Um, she, she had significant issues with the administration given that campaign. So we will see her testify publicly tomorrow. And then we have a whole host of people testifying in both public and private next week. What we have yet to find out is what Republican requests for witnesses will be fulfilled, because, again, Adam Schiff has ultimate authority on and the committee uh, have ultimate authority over who is called. And Republicans, as we've seen, as you've mentioned, have such a different idea of how this investigation should go forward. They want to call Hunter Biden. They want to call the whistleblower. They want to call everybody who talked to the whistleblower. Um, And Adam Schiff has made it clear he does not want to do those things. So we'll see which uh, witnesses that Republicans want will actually get called. All right, Kate, thanks for stepping out of your day and your time today at the Senate to talk with us. I always appreciate these conversations. Always a pleasure, Beth. And that was McClatchy political reporter Kate Irby talking with us from Washington, D.C. Incidentally, we have posted a link to the NPR story about yesterday's testimony. You can find it at capradio.org slash insight. In the studio with me now in Sacramento is Cap Radio's Capitol Bureau Chief Ben Adler. He is going to travel this way to the California Democratic Convention in Long Beach. Hi, Ben. Glad hey, to have you here. Good to be with you. So no Joe Biden, no Elizabeth. Elizabeth Warren this weekend. But But Adam Schiff will be there. Yeah, and he may end up being the person on center stage in light of this week. Well, you know, this is a it's kind of a tale of two state Democratic Party conventions. When you think back just a few months ago to that convention this past spring, late uh, end of May, early June in San Francisco. And there was so much buzz around California. The state was at long last the center of the political universe. So it seemed in a presidential primary. Uh, you had everyone here except Joe Biden, who uh, has, uh, I think, made pretty clear that that he sees himself having a decent chance of winning California, but does not think that the state Democratic Party convention and the activist crowd is his crowd. Uh, So he didn't come last time. He isn't coming this time. Elizabeth Warren did come last time, had a strong showing. She's going to be in Iowa this weekend. Uh, But you just have a a real difference in energy and and buzz heading in. This is just not getting the attention uh, from the candidates or from, uh, you know, it's it's just not really having the same energy, the same vibe going in the way uh, the spring convention did. The primary being moved from June to March was partly for California's position, partly for the attention and the engagement of Mostly, voters I would argue. in the race. 
But say more about why this has happened, why it's less important to presidential, Democratic presidential candidates. Well, we don't know that the state will continue to not get this kind of attention. Let's wait and see what happens as things get closer. Uh, Vote-by-mail ballots go out the day of the Iowa caucuses in February 3rd. The March Super Tuesday primary is on March 3rd. It is important to state that California is not anywhere near the only state with a primary on Super Tuesday. A lot of other ones do, too. And before them, you've got Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. The four early states, especially when you've got this many candidates in the race, can be key for momentum. If a candidate has a really low showing in some or all of those states, then there are questions about viability. And so when you've got a can, uh, you know, candidates who um, may have limited resources and a candidate's scarcest resource is his or her time, the time of where that candidate goes, spend, you know, where the candidate spends the time is is really a crucial decision for the campaign and and one they're they're very cognizant about. Can we reflect a bit on the latest polls for the race for president among the Democrats in California? Always risky, but but let's know, have at it. I know. <laughs> so some of the significant polls showed Elizabeth Warren with quite a lead. Um, what's the latest? You know, I, I think the as I as I've seen Warren and Sanders and Biden are the the three and Buttigieg is getting up there too. Uh, so you've kind of got the same a similar top tier. Uh, and when people are that close and, and and there's so many different ways of weighting and measuring, I think it's it's safer to speak generally and say these candidates are at the top of the pack and the others are not, rather than trying to say, okay, uh, this person is clearly winning. I don't think you can say that nationwide. I don't think you can say that in California. Uh, But California appears to be generally mirroring mirroring the the trend of of national polling right now uh, with, again, in, in And I'm not going to get you know, this is not ranked in order, but Warren Sanders, Biden and, and Buttigieg up top and Kamala Harris has really fallen back in the pack as she has nationally in her home state. Arguably, these are the folks who know her the best. Arguably, this has been a state that was going to really spur her uh, to the primary victory. That was part of her campaign strategy. She had a, a really big launch in Oakland in January. I was there. The streets uh, in, in downtown Oakland were packed with more than 20,000 people. It was a really smooth, impressive launch. And then slowly but surely, some of the the the, the, the buzz started to fade away, some, some questions about her performance. There's been some really good articles written out there for folks who want to take a look as to what some of her challenges have been. And, and you have her just not performing all that well right now in her home state. But she's not jumping out completely. She's She pulled her staff from a lot of early states, including uh, New Hampshire. She famously said that joke that she's bleeping moving to Iowa. Uh, she's not ignoring California. Uh, she does still have some presence here. You are listening to Cap Radio's Capitol Bureau Chief Ben Adler. He will be in Long Beach this weekend. On Saturday, there is a ticketed event, a... Real America Presidential Forum. Kamala Harris is among the candidates that has um, confirmed to be in attendance. Uh, the list is pretty long, actually, for this event. So this is a, a different format from what we had earlier this year. Earlier this year at the spring convention, every candidate that wanted to and, and RSVP'd in time uh, got to address the convention general session for, I think, seven minutes. Here you've got 
15 minutes each uh, at this forum, uh, which is sponsored by Univision. And so Jorge Ramos is going to be interviewing each of the eight people. And this was reserved for the top eight Democrats in the polls heading into the convention. But since you've got two of the top folks who are not going to be there with Biden and Warren, um, here are the the eight who are going to be participating in this forum. Booker, Buttigieg, Castro, Harris, Klobuchar, Sanders, Steyer, and Yang. That's an alphabetical order, uh, not any mysterious order be- beyond that. So they're they're going to have 15 minutes of Q&A. Uh, and then there's three other candidates uh, who have uh, not gotten um, very much attention. I guess Marianne Williamson's gotten a little attention. She, Joe Sestak, a former Pennsylvania um, congressman, I believe, and John Delaney, who did speak at the convention in spring, they're going to speak at the general session Saturday morning. I don't know exactly how much time they have, but Marianne they're not. Williamson, though, was among or the most Googled candidate after one of the early debates, yeah. simply because people were curious about what she was saying or who she was, didn't know her. Yeah. There are two Democrats who are talking about uh, jumping into this field. I guess the former Massachusetts governor, Deval Patrick, has. He has jumped in. And Mike Bloomberg is talking about it. Any chance either one or both might show up in Long Beach? Checked in with the party this morning. They've not heard from either of their campaigns. Uh, I did see in an article in the New York Times that Patrick's campaign was saying he was headed to California, but... Again, as of this morning, party hasn't heard from him. So I guess the question is going to be, uh, is uh, Deval Patrick devaluing California if he doesn't come to the convention? We mentioned Adam. You Sch- totally missed the dad joke. I did. You know what? <laughs> or you ignored a dad it. Joke. <laughs> or you ignored it. <laughs> um, is Adam Schiff going to be in a session? Is he accessible to people? We name dropped him, so we should explain a little more. He's speaking Saturday morning. We'll see if he stops to talk with uh, media afterwards. Uh, you know, it's he's been pretty available. He's been pretty out there and doing a lot of interviews. So, you know, it's not like he's been hard to find. I will say that both Nancy Pelosi and Gavin Newsom will not be attending in person. They're sending videos. So I don't know what that does or doesn't say. Pelosi was in Sacramento this past weekend. Uh, she was part of an event here. One more thing to note, Cap Radio's Scott Rod will be with you as well, and he's going to be talking to convention attendees to get more of a one-on-one personal sense of their thinking at this point, especially with that primary less than four months away now. Yeah, you know, um, we're we're asking voters and we're going to ask you as well. We're going to ask as many people as we can in as many ways we can. What issue do you most want to hear the candidates talk about uh, as they compete for your vote um, and and from a Californian's perspective. So um, Scott and I will be asking those questions. We'll have some tape for you Monday, uh, assuming that we're not preempted for some surprise impeachment hearing. And uh, we're excited to to start uh, talking to voters and and quote unquote regular people in as much as uh, regular people are the political activists at the convention. But certainly, well, we will not we will be talking to people at many places beyond a convention floor uh, over the coming months as we head toward the March primary and the November general election. You made a good point about next week. It looks and sounds like public testimony might resume next week for most of Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Thursday, but we will be here Monday. We'll follow up with you Monday about the convention. And I think in spite of maybe a lower level of buzz than there was before, there there is still a stage here for a lot of interesting comment 
and um, maybe some happenings to come out of Long Beach. I'll be really curious whether the candidates say anything specific to or about California or if they keep their messages focused nationally and what the folks who are listening to them think about whether they are specifically addressing California or if they're just keeping everything high level. Okay, Ben, thanks a lot. Safe travels. Thanks, you're welcome. Ben Adler, heading tomorrow to the California Democratic Convention in Long Beach, along with Cap Radio state government reporter Scott Rod. We'll hear from them Monday. Up next, Sammy Kaola on a successful Amador County mental health care program and people graduating with an important certification. You're listening to Insight on Cap Radio.